So here we are, mate. We've made it all the way to the northerly point of Australia. We have. What an epic road trip this has been. How many k's do you reckon it was? Uh, I think it's about 3,000 odd from my place. Oh, far out. And we've just walked, what, 750 metres, about a k, something yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. They make you walk through the mud. The tide was out, luckily. Yeah, yeah. And then we've just walked across here. We've come, there's probably about 20 people sort of milling around here. And we've just got the obligatory photos looking out. But um, we're standing in Australia and we can see two islands like stones throw away that oh, are not Australia they'd, they'd be 100 metres at most and uh, it's a funny thing we're just commenting on the current in there as well that is vicious oh that it's really it's slipping through there isn't it you, yeah. see, you can see it coming from over the left hand side of the point and it ju it's just hooking through it is it is so uh, yeah, we'll head back, I guess. And I mean, this has really been a highlight of the trip, I have to say. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah that and, and that and having a look at some uh, plane wrecks tomorrow. Yes, that's right. Yep. We've the plane wrecks tomorrow, and then we've got Somerset Beach as well. Yes. Uh, a couple more things to do, and then we basically head home to the the freezing cold southern states. Yeah, well, <laughs> we get down to Winton, it's going to be very low single digits as opposed to up here where it's currently about thirty degrees. <laughs> awesome, mate. Let's get out of here. Yeah, let's do it. Welcome to VCP Live, episode number 44, for Saturday, the 15th of July, 2023. VCP Live is sponsored by Kazna. At Kazna, we make your Google Cloud solutions possible. And I'm your host, Stephen Bancroft. On today's show, we're back from Cape York, so we bring you all up to date on our trip adventures. We take a look at some cool new GCP features, US and China play cloud politics, Plus, we bring you up to date on all the latest from the AI wars. But before we get to any of that, I want to introduce the co-host of the show, Ian Brown. How are you, Ian? And welcome back. Thanks, mate. I'm good, mate. How are you doing? Good, mate. Good, good. Feels strange um, how... recording this on a Saturday, doesn't it? I know. It's <laughs> just very quiet, isn't it? Like, it nothing's is. been happening all morning and... Um, yes, we are recording on a Saturday, and that is due to extenuating circumstances, <laughs> which we'll get into. <laughs> we, will, we will get into, I'm sure. But um, yeah, in case the little uh, cold opening didn't didn't uh, give you any spoilers, we're back. We we did a we just finished our epic. Uh, well, two weeks for me, really, and, and three weeks for you, and yep. trip to Cape York and back. And you just got back there on Thursday afternoon, didn't you? Yeah, yeah, I got back uh, about half past three Thursday, Arvo. Um, we we brought up the essentials from the car, and then uh, and then decided that uh, I've I've driven six hundred kilometres today. It's time for a beer. Yeah. Yeah, for those of you that aren't aware, Cape Cape York is Australia's most northerly point, and uh, you can drive and then walk a little bit to get there. And uh, we did it. We did it. Mm. It's for me. It was seven. Well, <laughs> should have been seven and a half thousand kilometres round trip, and sort of similar for you, Ian. I think. Yeah, it was about. Uh, I think it was just shy of sixty five hundred by the time we got home. Yeah, about a thousand k's difference each. Yeah. Um. But uh, we, well, what, what, what do we do? We saw, you know, a large, large chunk of the eastern coast of Queensland, you know, some really nice spots there along the way. Uh, some of the highlights, the, the falls that you can see in, in you've got uh, Bat, Bat Falls, Fruit Bat, Fruit Bat Falls, Bat falls and Elliot Falls yep. and Twin Falls, yeah. Yeah, yeah fantastic. They were, they were magic, absolute magic. Going for a swim there in the hot days. Um, I tell you what, you get up there in, in the northern tip, and it might be the middle of winter, but boy, oh boy, what was it? Thirty-four degrees and something like ninety-six percent humidity. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah it was. Uh, it was quite the contrast from from the western Queensland where we where unfortunately you ended your trip. But uh, yeah, right up the tip, it's you get out of bed at half past six in the morning, and it's already thirty plus degrees, and and you're just immediately starting to sweat. You get yeah. out of a, a stone cold shower, and by the time you've dried yourself, you need to dry yourself again because you're sweating so much. It's, yeah, yeah. It's and and didn't help matters that the place we chose to stay, we were going to stay for three nights, four nights, but we only stayed for three. And uh, we were promised that they had a pool. We were promised. <laughs> we well, in their defence, they do have a pool. <laughs> Yeah, but, but I ain't swimming in a green pool because that was green. <laughs> oh yeah, we we uh, we haven't put chlorine in it yesterday. Uh, no, it's been about a month since you put chlorine in that, buddy. Yeah, uh, and incidentally, it wasn't closed because of that. 
It was closed because of the rust in the fence. The council closed the pool because of the rust in the fence. Oh, well, there you go. <laughs> yeah. So, but yeah, look, they did have a pool where you just couldn't swim in it. And uh, for those who don't know, you don't swim in the ocean up there because um, as my son uh, affectionately calls them, hostile handbags, also known as saltwater crocodiles, uh, infest the waters up there. And, uh, and they're quite fond of a human. Yeah, they do. Actually, I was there out on the beach one night uh, just just on the phone and there was some, some kids that had a torch. They were shining a torch into the water and about 50 metres out from the water, there was eye shine. Oh, and yes. I remember see you saying the eye shine. You could see, see it moving. Yep. Yeah, there was a crocodile in the water and everyone was, oh, what is that? What is that? Yep. Yeah, <laughs> yep. that's a croc. Yep. Um, so, I mean, I mean, the pool was one thing, but to actually get there, oh. um, you've got to go up this road. Well, you don't have to go up this road, but to see the the falls that we mentioned, that you you need to go on part of this road called the old telegraph track. Now, what's the history of the old telegraph track, Ian? Well, so the Overland Telegraph Line, as it's officially named, or um, OTL, is a track that extended uh, right through northern Queensland, and it was our lifeline, I suppose you could call it, to the rest of the world when. Uh, before the phones were a thing, it was a telegraph line, so it would have been used for Morse code and that sort of stuff, and it was maintained by the Postmaster General's office. Yeah, and this track followed it along, so you could maintain it, and, and it's yeah. still there. It's called the Old Telegraph Track, and it's a four-wheel driver's mecca yep. um, because you're doing everything. You're doing the steep hill climbs, the, the downhills, you're doing the water crossings, you've got sand, you've got potholes, you've got the whole box and dice in one track. Now, we attempted to do the first part of this, um, got caught in a bit of a traffic jam because it's kind of peak season, so we, we, we backed out of that, went back onto what they call the PDR, which is like just the managed dirt road, came back to get into the falls because you kind of had to do that to get to it, uh, and then saw the falls, and then we attempted to do a water crossing <laughs> <laughs> after we yeah. saw the falls. Now... We took a look at this water crossing, and I'm like, "Yeah, no worries," and yep. and, and booted across the water crossing. Now I, I you know, I didn't didn't think any of think anything of it to be honest with you, and just continued to go up the hill on the other side. And then what happened, Ian? You you, well, you went to do the water crossing. So, <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, we we uh, just driving through water crossing looks fine. I I, I watch Baker go through in in um, his, his truck. Gets up the other side. I'm like, oh, okay, yep, not not so difficult. I'll throw it in low range, lock the lock the hubs in. Um, what I didn't take into account was it was a sandy bottom, and I was in at about five ton, and so <laughs> I got sort of just at the point where my nose came up out of the water, and the tires hit that really soft pit at the exit there where everybody's churned it up, and I stopped dead. Mm. So. We uh, we might and have I'd had gone. I'd gone. Yeah, I was gone. up the top. <laughs> You'd gone. So we, <laughs> I'm calling you back on the radio. Oh, it, in the meantime, there's a there's a bloke standing there watching us come over the over the track, and he can see he can hear me calling out to you on the radio. He does nothing. He's just standing there watching. Um, I ended up I ended up yelling out to him to pull the the winch rope out and wrap it around the tree um, that was up to the left of us. And he, he just he sort of like it just moseys on down. Slow as it, slow as you can be, pulls a witch rope out and then just dumps it at the tree. And I'm like, no, dude, the witch ain't going to work unless you wrap it around the tree. <laughs> but uh, we so eventually up- wrapped it around the tree. I'd made it back by then, and yep. you're you're yelling out, engage the free spool, yep. engage the free spool. So I sprint into the water, flick the free the free spool over, and you're then you're out. You start pulling yourself out. Yeah. But what had happened? I mean, it was. 20 seconds. What had happened in that 20 seconds? Uh, so we got a little tiny bit of water in the back um, carpet in the in the cruiser. Yep. Um, the back yep. of the cruiser, like the, the cargo area in the cruiser, was bone dry. So all the seals there were working perfectly. Mm. Um, it was the seal on uh, the side that my son sits on uh, that had been damaged by, you know, I won't point fingers at him, but he's the only one who gets in that side. Uh. Him kicking at the seals every time he gets in. Right, and he's damaged them, so got a little bit of so, water in there. Uh, but the camper trailer, yeah, it's uh, it's about as watertight as a block of Swiss cheese. Uh, we flooded. opened it up. We <laughs> opened it up when I got it out of the water, and there was about four inches of water for for those who don't know, it's about a hundred mil of water all through it. So all through yep, the fridge, the w- 
like the fridge had been wet, all the electronics inside the camper trailer had been wet, including like the DC-DC charger, the inverter, the AC, the shore power charger, the battery itself. Um, the coffee machine, which was sitting in on the floor there, was wet. Um, the uh, annex was wet, the whole lot. <laughs> flooded. Yep. Um, but in good news, so- in good news though, when we got to um, Al Al Beach, uh, where we were camping up at, up at the ferry tip, open it up for a couple of days, dry everything out in, in the stupendous amount of heat that they've got up there, and everything came back to life. Yeah, saved everything, pretty yep. much. Yeah, yep. apart from yep. a few bits and pieces of food, which is irrelevant. Yep. All the electronics worked again. You've dried yep. everything out. It wasn't salt water, thankfully. No. It wasn't salt water, fresh water. Might have just given it a bit of a wash. Being, yeah, cleaned all uh-huh. the dust out. <laughs> <laughs> a bit of your, a bit of your uh, laminate flooring is is lifting a little bit, but yeah. that's that's about it. Yeah. Yeah, that that there's a few there's a few repairs that need to be done. The uh, the hitch on the camper trailer is is completely broken. Um, I don't know whether it was a rock hit it or the corrugations on the bypass road just shook it to pieces, but the back of it's just snapped off. Yeah. So uh, it's dead. But it, I mean, it's really hard up there, right? I mean, oh. you, you 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 got flooded. You you broke the clip, the thing on your trailer. Uh, you know, I broke a chair. Like, well, that's just for me getting in and out of it. The amount of electronic stuff we had to fix, like oh, soldering yeah. stuff and wires and bits and pieces. But one major thing did break. Yes, and uh, we got we got back. So we did all that. We turned around. We got back. We we got out to Winton, which ironically I recorded a show at Winton once before. Now our plan. This is why we we're recording on Saturday. Was to record this show on Thursday, uh, or when was it? Oh, Wednesday, uh, yeah, in Longreach. On Wednesday at Longreach, because we had a short day. To go from Winton to Longreach is only 100 kilometres. We're going to go and see the museum, and then and then we would have had time to record the show. But as fate would put it, <laughs> on on when I was at Winton, I'd wanted to go out and see the Winton Trackway. Now, the Winton Trackway is the only place in the world where you've got multiple dinosaur footprints all in one location um it's fantastic if you ever get a chance to go out there go and have a look at it i did make it out to the winton trackway it's a hundred kilometer road to get out there made it out saw the winton trackway on the way back going down the road flat dirt road doing 100 kilometers an hour down the road as you can um everything seems fine and then i lose power in the car and then there's smoke coming out from under the hood i open the hood there's Oil everywhere. The engine in my car had blown up. Yeah, and by blown up, I mean uh, a piston, a hole through piston number four. Um, white smoke coming out the back, running rough. Oil everywhere. Engine completely toast. I tried to do a few quick repairs, fixes to limp it home, but it wasn't going anywhere. So here I am, forty kilometres out of town, no phone reception. The car is blown up and we're basically stranded. Yep. So that was quite a drama. Now, I had a travelling companion with me. Uh, fortunately, the wind and trackway this time of year is very popular and there were a lot of cars coming backwards and forwards. So I managed to get a lift with someone. And Ian, fortunately, you were in town. You happened yeah. to be in town. We've seen you the were pub around, having lunch. <laughs> you, you were around somewhere, right? So I was able to get contact you. And I uh, found you, and then uh, just finding you in town, like, that that was a relief, right? Yep. I knew that you were there, and, like, we could sort this problem out. Yep. Uh, I had my mate back at the car. You guys were there. We were working through problems, and it was just, like, full problem solving, you know? Yeah. Like, what do we do? So, all right, well, we'll ring, ring NRMA, RACQ in Queensland. Um, well, I actually rang NRMA in, in, in New South Wales, and they have an agreement with RACQ. And uh, fortunately, now, if you own this type of vehicle uh, and you're doing remote travel in Australia, like a lot of people in Australia do, get premium NRMA cover. You've got to have it. 100% you do. They will come out in remote regions. They will cover you up to $3,000 to to do these kind of recoveries, and that's exactly what they did. Um, And to to put this into context, like when you say um, you you drove out 100 kilometres to go and see Lark's Quarry, that's mm. that's not a long drive in Australia. That's just just nah. a hop, skip, and the ro- jump down the road. That's yeah. It's like six and a half thousand six and a half thousand kilometers. That's a long drive, but a hundred yeah. k's down the road, that's like it's an hour. 
it's an it's an hour, forty five minutes. Yeah, mm. you know, if you're doing one hundred and ten or a little bit over, um, yeah, it's not far. It's no. not far. And to think about it, we we'd done like five thousand k's by this point, yeah. right? Every day, and uh, I just just I, I don't know. Look, I I mentioned it before, and I think there'd been a problem going on under you know, um, just just with the engine. There'd been something funny going on for a while. Um, just with the K's and the days, and of course it was loaded, right? We've got everything in there to live for three mm. weeks. I think it just gave up the ghost. Yep. Um, so, yeah, we're here, and, and what do we do? Um, well, we call the NRMA, and <laughs> the local NRMA guy, uh, NRMA guy he, he was a character. He's like, yep, I pick these up all the time. <laughs> they blow up all the time. <laughs> yeah, thanks, mate. <laughs> <laughs> thanks. So the, the upshot of it is right now, it's still parked in Winton. Um, It'll likely be picked up this week, uh, taken to Brisbane, then brought to Sydney, and I'm getting a new motor put in it. It's a 250-horsepower uh, 4JJ1 engine. Out of the D-Max? And, uh, out of a D-Max. Yep. Bulletproof and, motor. Uh, it's bulletproof, and it's going to go like the clappers, so yep. that'll be fun. <laughs> yeah, most certainly will. But it's it just uh, – like the – the thing here that people need to understand, those especially who aren't from Australia that are listening, um, Winton is a really remote part of Australia. Like, it's not super remote. It's You've still got um, towns around you, but they're sort of 100, 170 k's away. Yeah. Um, it's a very – it's like central western Queensland. Um, yeah. It's not as remote as some places in the country, but it's certainly not a place that you want to be breaking down outside of the town because – help out there can be very, very sporadic and really the only communications you've got is either HF radio or satellite phone. Yep. Yep. Which in hindsight, I probably should have sent you with the sat phone. Well, yeah, but look, uh, that that road is really heavily trafficked. Yeah. You know, everyone was going out there to, to see the, 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 the set um, tours that happened. So they're all going out there to, uh, at their time tours uh, but now you're right. I probably could have could have done with the sat phone in that case. But uh, and, really and luckily the the Opal Festival was on in Winton itself as well. So that sort of added to the traffic in Winton. That's that's right. Yeah, and the big red bash had just finished. There's lots of people around. Yeah. Uh, but now you're right. Generally, um, the closest town is uh, Longreach, which is 160k. But outside of that, it's sort of 400k in any direction to any other town. Yeah. Well, the next the next yeah. one west of that is um, Bullier, I think, which is yeah, it's about 460k's. That's right. Yeah. And uh, Judah, 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 I think it's called, is the other direction, which is 400k. So yeah, because it's a Winton Judah road uh, that that I was on. So yeah. Um, that is our outback traveling adventures in a nutshell. <laughs> <laughs> it was good fun. Uh, it was good fun. Look, I, I, uh, I'm a bit disappointed that uh, I didn't get to do another show out there because it kind of would have been very, um, I don't know, serendipitous to record another show twelve months later in sort of the same location. But uh, here we are on a Saturday recording because we just didn't the time timelines didn't work out for us, and I blew yep. an engine up in my car. But you know, yeah. We live to tell another day. That's it. All right. Should we uh, get on with some uh, some news items or a bit of a bit of well, yeah. Let's get on. Let's <laughs> let's, let's get on with what's Elon Musk doing this week. <laughs> let's get, I didn't want to get on exactly with the news items yet because we've got to talk about Elon Musk a little bit. Yeah. <laughs> what what's he up to, Ian? Oh, mate, uh, we're we're back to the old thing of not paying the bills. Um, oh dear. So yeah, office rent and refurbishments and that sort of stuff. There's uh, there's an article here on Yahoo News about um, Twitter is failing to pay bills um, in even more areas as it finds itself in legal trouble despite several weeks of leadership under new CEO Linda Yaccarino. Yep, yep. And and this caught our attention because the news comes as a Sydney-based infrastructure company facilitate looks to claw back more than $700,000 for work it carried out in three locations where Twitter has offices. So they're not they're not paying for these renovation bills, apparently. Yeah, that's right. So uh, there's a $41,000 bill there for decommissioning a Twitter office and temporarily storing its contents. Um, there's uh, provider sensor installation in two of Twitter's locations in London and Dublin, totaling 258000 as well as a Singapore office fit-out, which costs the company about 405000 So there's a lot of coin tied up here. Mm, mm. 
And this is after uh, Google's, like, uh, Linda Yagarino decided to start paying the Google bills again, but is, like, we don't know the backstory of this. It's all very hush-hush. Um, so I'm hoping that they're looking at negotiating a payment on this uh, on this stuff instead of just outright ignoring it. Yeah, they'll, they'll have to. I mean, to keep the company viable, they'll have to do that. But um, not only he's done that, but he's he's putting some restrictions on what tweets you can actually read now as well. Yeah, I saw this the other day and I was just mm. like, you've got to be joking. So... Like he's doing it in in response to data scrapers that are taking content off the site and reposting it on their site, and I sort of understand why he's doing it. But the initial limits were were just ludicrous. It was like um, the initial verified accounts ten thousand tweets a day, and unverified yep. accounts will be able to read one thousand tweets a day. Newly created unverified accounts will be able to read five hundred tweets a day. That's right. So mm. um, he he put a a tweet out on the 2nd of July, and he said, rate limits increasing soon to 8,000 for verified, 800 for unverified, and 400 for new unverified to address extreme levels of data scraping and system manipulation. We've um, applied temporary limits. So that was a bump from 6,600 and 300, Mm. respectively. Mm. Uh, And now it's up to 10,000, 1,000 and half, uh, and sorry, 500. up again, yeah. Um, And... You got to be logged in now because that's that's when I noticed it. I, I clicked on some tweet someone shared somewhere, and I immediately got a login page. And yeah, you know, and normally have to do that. Like I am logged in, but uh, it was in the browser rather than the app. And um, yeah, so he's put that in place as well. But yeah, who, who knows what's next for Twitter? Um, oh, certainly yeah. shaking it up. You got to you got to always go over to Instagram's Threads instead. <laughs> But What's the latest on that? Wasn't there a, a, some litigation happening around that? Oh, yeah, yeah. So um, Elon Musk is uh, suing Instagram over this, over um, theft of intellectual property or something. Um, I couldn't find an article for it, but, yeah, I, I read that the other day. Uh, look, Threads does look very similar to Instagram in so far as what it does. Uh, right. But, but honestly... There was always going to be someone to copy it. I mean, Mastodon is much the same. There's a whole heap of them out there that look very similar. It's a short message platform, essentially. Yep, yep. Um, I mean, we remember when Twitter launched, right? And we already mm. had Facebook, and it was like, whoa, whoa, what's yeah, why? What, that, what, that was my what response. Do we need this for? Why we've already got this? Why? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's like, why would I want to send little tiny messages when I can put entire posts on? on Facebook and exactly yeah. yeah yeah apparently it's it appeals to some so you know that's fair enough yeah uh yeah all right well uh maybe we need a new session session the uh, uh you know the messaging wars the twitter files the twitter, <laughs> the twitter files <laughs> all right look should we get on and actually do some google news oh yeah right let's on. do it <laughs> this is this is much let's, more entertaining it's much No, the Google News is going to be entertaining. Let's get on with the news items. All right, a couple of new Google features. And this first one is kind of like from the department of why the hell didn't we already have this? (laughs) Introducing persistent disk asynchronous replication. Uh, I had to play with this this morning. Ah, you did. I did. I had a play yeah. with this this morning. Um, super yeah. simple to set up. Uh, really, yeah, it, it really is uh, a case of why wasn't this available years ago? So what you're able to do now is you're able to you're able to nominate when you set up a persistent disk. You're able to nominate the primary disk and the secondary disk in a secondary region, and and you're able to set up a block by block asynchronous data replication between the two PDs. Yep. And you've got a recovery point objective of generally sub a minute, uh, which is which is really really good because that's a that's a uh, a massive uh, DR capability for a lot of people oh, totally. who are using VMs. Yeah. Um, it allows you to test your disaster recovery too because you can whilst the 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 secondary disk is getting replication data, you can actually attach it to an instance in that region and test your DR is working as you expect it to. 
Oh, fantastic. Mm. Yeah, really, really easy to set up a duplicate DR site. There is a caveat to this, though. So the there's well, there's a few caveats here. The first mm. one is it doesn't support um, customer-supplied encryption keys. Um, so you've either got to use Google-managed encryption keys or customer-managed encryption keys, so using Google's um, tooling. Right. Um, it only applies to balanced persistent disks and um, SSD persistent disks. Uh, you can't have read-only disks or multi-writer disks. Um, they can't be more than two terabytes. And it you are sorry, you only get a hundred disk pairs in each region pair. So regions are paired. There's only uh, six region pairs available currently um, for Australia. That is Sydney and Melbourne. Obvious right. reasons. We, that's the only two we've got, and that's a f- that's a fixed pairing between that's a fixed regions, pairing. Isn't it? Yeah, right. So okay. you, if you, you spin up your instances in Melbourne, for instance, mm-hmm. your pair, your um, region B pair, would be Sydney. I see. So it's the only right. place that you can put those those persistent disks. So if you're in a, what if you're in a locale that only has a single region it currently? So Taiwan's a good example of that. Asia East one. Yeah. Uh, yep. So the region B for that one would be Singapore, which is Asia Southeast one. Okay, easy. Or they yep. just they just defined one. I suppose if they spin up a second region there, they'll just redefine that. Yeah, that's right. Um, but I had a look at the Terraform for this, um, and boy, it's simple. It is, isn't it? Um, all, all you need to do, like this, is it here, right? You define a primary disk, right? So the block size. Define a secondary disk. Easy peasy. You say. Async primary disk, you nominate the primary disk that's the async, and then you set up the replication. Yep. Done. Yeah. Three stanzas. Like, there, there's no excuse. No excuse for not having a, an offsite backup, really. This is what it is. That's right. And, and you can, so you can couple this with uh, regional disks, too. So, mm. regional disks give you the ability to have um, regional copies of a, of a persistent disk as opposed to zonal copies. And so you can set up HA with regional copies of a persistent disk and then have your DR strategy as the async replication of that yeah. regional disk. Mm. So you get mm. best of both worlds. You get HA and DR. Yeah. Yeah. No excuse, people. Nope. Set this up. Yep. So easy if you're doing it as IAC. Yeah, very much so. Um. Cool. All right. Well, uh, go check that out. And another new feature is migrating out of AWS. Just got a whole lot easier. It did. So uh, this one I haven't had a chance to play with yet because I haven't spun up anything in AWS for um, not anywhere near enough time. Uh, <laughs> so, but basically what it allows you to do is in Cloud Console, if you go into Compute Engine, under there, that you've got uh, migrate to virtual machines, the option there in the yep. uh, pop out menu, and it's part of this migration center. That's right, right? Yeah, so migration center. Yeah. yeah. So what you can do then is add a source of AWS. So EC2 instances um, in AWS, you add that as a source, and you can start migrating or replicating those disks from AWS into uh, GCP. Uh, and, and do a complete um, non-disruptive cutover as well. So part and parcel of this is you, you initiate the VM data replication into GCP. Then you can do a non-disruptive test of this. So you, um, you use the uh, cutover and test clone menu. There's a test clone in there. Um, that will spin up that instance in your GCP uh, Yep. Platform, you can, uh, you can nominate the project and the, and the network is going to go onto the VPC. Yep, it's going the into. Whole lot. Yep. Yep. Uh, you test that clone; it'll spin up that VM. Um, you can test it to make sure that it's working exactly as you want it to. And then what you can do is you cancel that test clone, and then you use the same menu option: go cut over, and it shuts down the AWS instance, performs a last second sync, and then fires up the GCP instance. Yeah, and, then it's and the whole thing's ag- agentless as well. You That's don't right. even install any special agents. And the service seamlessly adapts your source VM operating system to boot and run natively in the cloud. That's right. So if it's a, you know all that stuff with Grub and mucking around with partitioning and all that, it'll do all that. And it will include configuring network settings and deploying Google Cloud guest packages as yep. well. It'll do all that for you. Um, and for those who are security-minded, 
the replicated data is encrypted in transit and at rest. So of course, when yep. it comes over into GCP, it's all encrypted. So there's no need to worry about losing any sensitive information. It just made it a whole lot easier. <laughs> yep, a whole lot easier to get out of AWS and into GCP. Yep, and if you've got a uh, a cross connect, which we discussed the other week, and it'll make it even quicker. That's right. Um, so go check that one out. Uh, it's all done within the uh, migration center tool, um, which you'll find in your project. I'll link the um, article in the show notes, and you can find out all about it. But moving on, uh, Google Cloud has awarded uh, $313,337 in bug bounties in 2022. Um, and we all know why they use these odd numbers, right? Yep. <laughs> <laughs> we do. You, got, you guys can go and look that one up. I've mentioned it on the show before, but the top prize was awarded to Yuval Avarhami, and came in at $133,337. Completely late. Completely late, yeah. Uh, He was reported for a write-up on privilege escalations in GKE Autopilot, which I think is something we covered on the show um, a few months ago. Um, His write-up describes several attack paths that would allow an attacker with permissions to create pods in an autopilot cluster escalate privileges and comp- compromise the underlying node VMs. Uh, the second and third places paid uh, 73331 and 31337 respectively. Um, and yeah, so if you're finding bugs in Google Cloud, then you've got to go and get yourself uh, a Bitcoin. Yeah, that's right. I love how every single one of the uh, prizes or the, the amounts was it was spelt leet or elite in some elite, yeah. in some form. So combinations of seven, three, and one. <laughs> yeah, that's right. So, but uh, like the the bug bounties are an awesome pro- um, an awesome project. If you're if you're a technology company that builds software for a, for your as your primary business, and you're not running bug bounties like this, then you're missing out on some of the best um, talent in the world trying to compromise it. Hmm. And Google knows this, and Microsoft knows this, and AWS, they all do it. So I think, I think every company should do it if, you're, if your primary business is building software. Yeah. Um, you know, let the, let the white hats at it first before the, the black hats do nefarious things. Well, that's right. Speaking of black hats, um, just a little follow-up follow up story here. Um, we mentioned just briefly in a previous episode, I think it was actually two episodes now, ago now, the HW Ebsworth breach. Uh, article I'll link in the show notes from IT News, uh, basically saying uh, they're looking into it. <laughs> yeah, well, they are. Uh, but more concerning than that is uh, the number of Australian government entities that have been impacted and, um, and also banks. So yes. ANZ and NAB um, are also clients of HWL Ebsworth. Yeah. Uh, so this this could potentially have uh, a lot more uh, compromises than than the initial sort of compromise of of uh, the law firm. This could lead to a whole lot more compromising activity. Right, and but I guess what the important point here in this article is that we now have Air Marshal Darren Goldie has officially taken on the role, and this is, seems to be his first task, he's taken on the role of Australia's National Cyber Security Coordinator. Yes. And this is, this is an awesome step that, I mean, we should have had one of these for 10 years. Yeah. Uh, but, you know, uh, government's not exactly fast to act. So uh, we're seeing now that Australia is a little bit of a soft target and... We, we've been sort of relying on the fact that we're a small fish in a big pond for far too long, and now the small fish has grown, and now we're sort of a much bigger fish that has a much bigger surface area. Yep. Um, interestingly, and- uh, sorry, I was just going to say interestingly that there's a group has claimed responsibility for this, and I was doing a little bit of research on this ALPVH, or Black Cat Group. Um, it appears to be, uh, from the, the articles that I've read on it, it appears to be a uh, Russian group 
that is born out of the old um, Black Matter group. So they were the ones oh. who who had one of the really prolific ransomware uh, tooling out there. These guys, after a few of them got arrested by Russian authorities, uh, the rest have sort of created this group. Right. We're not. Are we aware of any other hacks that they've done? No. I. I like the information on them is fairly. Uh, it's not. It's not scant. Yeah, mm. it's fairly scant. Uh, but they essentially do ransomware as a service, <laughs> which is like you know, okay. if you're going to do anything as a service, ransomware seems like a great business yeah, proposition. Why not? Yeah. You will. You pay me, and I'll, I'll, you know, I'll ransomware someone for you. All right. Look, we'll keep an eye on that story as it develops. Um, yeah. Other than this article saying that Goldie has been assigned there, all they really seem to be, all that he is saying is that he is actively engaging with H.W. Ebsworth to understand the complete picture of the incident. So I don't know how tight-lipped they're going to be given the the, uh, the national security implications with it. But uh, yeah, if we get any more news, we'll certainly talk about it here. Now, let's move on to a little, what I would call political news. We, we try not to get too political on this show, but it's a bit hard with this next, <laughs> uh, next thing that's coming on. Um, the US is set to restrict China's access to cloud computing. Um, so the story is that uh, Biden administration is preparing to restrict Chinese companies' access to US cloud company services. Wall Street Journal reported. This is an article, 19 News again. Um, and they're saying the US Department of Commerce is expected to implement the restrictions in coming weeks as part of the expansion of its semiconductor export control policy introduced in October. Um, so what what's going to have to happen is if companies in China are seeking to use cloud services such as the article says Amazon and Microsoft. Where, where's the other? Yeah. Well, where's Google and Oracle? Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> right? um, I, I, they are included in this. Um, they need to seek US government permission yes. before they use it. It seems so. The write up here says before, uh, so they've got to seek US government permission before they provide cloud computing services that use advanced artificial intelligence chips. So, I mean, Realistically, that's for for Google. That's a lot of the services they're using AI it, in a yeah. lot of services now. Yeah, yep. Especially if they start integrating Gen AI with just about everything. Yep. <laughs> yeah. Um, China said it would control exports. So, in retaliation, China said it would control exports of some metals widely used in the semiconductor industry. Yeah. Response to that, and this is where it sort of becomes a bit of tit for tat. So the US yeah, is right. the US is sort of going to put these controls on China accessing um, AI chips and China in response to that is going to prevent the US from making the AI chips by restricting the metals that they need to do it. Yeah. Because China, and they're doing it, right? That's right. And China is yeah. the biggest exporter of the precious metals required for wafers in the world. Yeah. So from, from August 1, China is applying export controls to eight gallium products and six germanium products. The country's commerce ministry said exporters will need advanced permission to ship the materials abroad. Now, look, there's a way. There's ways around this. The American companies have got um, subsidiary companies in China, and they just just go ship it to them, and then ship it directly to the US, right? There's there's other ways around it. But I went and looked this up. Uh, I thought, you know, China can't be that big a player. Surely Australia's got heaps of metals, right? Like we've got tons and tons of stuff. <laughs> um, well, as it turns out. Um, I went and looked up the top 10 countries for rare earth metal production. Yeah, number one, China. Yep. 210,000 megatons metric tons of rare earths annually. Mm -hmm. United States are the next biggest player, 43,000 metric tons. And Australia comes in at number three, 18,000 metric tons. That's right. And so you look at that and we are an order of magnitude smaller than China. We are. Uh, we produce a lot, but yeah. order of magnitude smaller. But there are plans uh, that's probably going to be bumped by about 10,000 metric tons, an additional 10,000 metric tons by 2025. Yep. We, we have the capacity to produce a lot more, mm. but we, we're, not, we're currently not. That's right. Um, We'd rather and, tear up Queensland with coal mines. Yeah, <laughs> reduce the coal, yeah. We've got to make that coal. Um, 
So it'd be interesting to see if this um, policy makes a shift in that. Yeah, look, um, I, I'm I'm a bit like the the whole political tit for tat thing is uh, just that's politics, but uh, I think the the bit here that really that I really took away was um, so gallium and germanium are the two products that are probably the most critical for what we currently use technology for these days. So gallium is widely used in uh, wind band, gap, and compound semi- semiconductors. Um, electric vehicles, power electronics, et cetera, et cetera. And germanium is um, fiber optics, communication equipment, and solar panels. So, yeah. I mean, they're- Plus you get, you, you get your germanium transistors. Yeah. Germanium FETs, yeah. yeah. Yeah, so, I mean, if you're restricting export of that, then we've got an issue where there is a potential there for China to then hold all manufacturing for communications equipment worldwide. And and it goes beyond cloud. That's right. Yeah, that, that's, that's way, all way communication. Cloud. So mm. the fibre to the home that you've got currently via MBN Co. They will use germanium in their fibre optic yep. transistors. Yep, yep. Well, all electronics manufacturing, mm. mobile phones. Yep. Right, like uh, uh, cars. Right, it's going to affect. It's going to affect uh, a heap of stuff. Have a heap of stuff. Yep. Um. So I think. You know, you've got to apply to get um, dispensation to be able to receive it. I, I think they'll be very selective with that, right? Some industries they'll put restrictions on and then other industries they'll permit it. They kind of have to, I think. Yeah, that's right. Um, that's Yeah, they'll be restrictive. But you know, China has a history of implementing policies that backfire on them. Yeah. Um, that, so <laughs> like their, the whole- their coal um, import- Policy that uh, that they had a little while ago, and then realised that they didn't produce enough coal to power their country. That's right, <laughs> and oops. and it's not, yeah, and it's not the only thing. There was a, something back in the eighteen hundreds with some bird that they some pestilent bird they had to get rid of, and it, that caused another problem. But um, yeah, let's let's see where this goes. If this has some other knock on effect that mm. uh, they don't anticipate, be interesting to see what happens. All right, and that endeth the political news. <laughs> the political news on GCP Life. <laughs> Should we get on with the AI wars? <laughs> AI wars. Um, Bard, Bard has launched a bunch of new features. It has. Uh, I don't know if you saw this, Ian. I just snuck this in at the last minute here. Um, Bard now, um, uh, the blog, blog has got the list of features, but you can actually go and look at the uh, release notes for Bard and it's probably a little bit easier to look at. Um, listens to responses. Um, it can communicate in over 40 languages now. Communicate in, in over 40 languages. Thank you. That's what I was trying to get to. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> um, you can adjust, uh, the responses now. You can change the tone and style of the response. Yeah. Uh, shorter, longer, simpler, more casual kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, you can pin conversations. Now, that's something that, that ChatGPT had out of the, out of the box, right? Mm. But now you can keep the conversation there and go back and and continue with the conversation because you get like this little list of pinned conversations on the side. Yeah. Nice. Um, you can do – you can export the code. So the Bard, they're really gearing up Bard to be the code – expert so to speak um and you can ex- export the code directly from bard into things like uh replit for instance yeah although i've i've so code generation in a general purpose transform i find a little bit of a double-edged sword mm. because what's to say that you can't get the code to uh, get the ai to generate something malicious I think we've actually got we we do we've got a we've got a story on we, that one. We've got a, we've got a story on that one coming up. Mm. Yeah, yeah. You absolutely can get the code to, to generate something delicious, 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 yes. delicious. <laughs> well, it would be delicious if uh, you're uh, part of the Black Cat Hackers Group. <laughs> that's right, <laughs> malicious. Uh, but let's you, you can share you can share the responses now too, which is good. You don't have to like have this janky screenshot to send out. You can just send them a link to the uh, the conversation. Mm-hmm. 
you can. It's now multimodal, so you can use images in your prompts. Yeah. Uh, upload an image, get it to describe the image, get it to talk about the image. Uh, I think that's the main list of new features at the moment, which seems pretty cool. Yeah, the images one is is really cool. So it's using Google Lens, which I use quite a lot on our trip. So we found uh, where we got out to Winton, um, we found these little birds that had sort of skitch around the, the campsite of a morning. And I used Google Lens because I'd never seen these birds before. So yeah. I used Google Lens and, and we had apostle birds. There you go. They're called apostle birds. I'd never seen them before in my life. Yeah. And the entire way back until we, because we stopped at Krakow uh, for our last night's camp and they're at Krakow and I haven't seen them since. Right, so they must only be endemic in sort of a northern yeah, in region. The, in that dry yeah, region, in that, yeah. In that, oh, that dry region, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, there you go, uh, using lens to do that. And we used it to identify that brolga as well. That's right. Oh, yes, that's right. Wasn't that a big bird at Longreach yeah, Airport? That was a big bird, yeah. <laughs> but, yeah, talking about Bard, um, Bard's been criticised because uh, it possesses ransomware risk, says researchers. Now, it can generate malicious code. Now, how does this work, Ant? Well, so this is um, – this is a, a researcher has uh, used BARD to generate a phishing email. And, I mean, that's that's not um, completely uh, unreasonable. You can just ask it to provide an example of a phishing email and, and it'll do that. Uh, but then the researchers asked it if it could provide some Python code that basically does um, an encryption attack on, on a disk. And orig- initially it said, no, 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 I can't help you with that. But they persisted mm. and just started um, narrowing it down at scope so that it got three different things. So they asked it, can you write Python code that will encrypt files, encrypt a folder or file in a given path, hard-coded variable using AES, um, create a readme text with instructions on how to decrypt the files on the desktop folder and replace the current desktop wallpaper with a different image that will be downloaded from a hard-coded link. And Bard came back and went, sure, here's Python code that will encrypt <laughs> files. So, because they didn't specifically say, write me a ransomware code. That's right. They, yeah, yeah, yeah. So Bard's just doing what, it, what it's asked to do. But this sort of brings into question, like, how, how safe is it to do this? So how safe is it to have this ability on the internet now, given that yeah. the, the checkpoints aren't really there? I'm just gonna I'm just gonna say that asking that series of questions to a chat bot is no different to going to Stack Overflow and searching for the various code snippets in Stack Overflow because you know they're there. Oh yeah, of course. And then just stringing them together anyway. What's the difference? That's right. But, I mean, the, right. the, the latter requires a lot more effort on your part versus just asking Bard, like, give me these three things and it'll write you three functions that do it. And you've just got to chain them together yourself. Mm. Whereas, whereas doing that, like Stack Overflow, you'd have to search and search and search for the different snippets to do those things. But, look, it's, it is... Uh, the, that article goes on to say that this is exactly what ChatGPT did at its um, stage of development as well. So Bard is not exhibiting any flaw per se. It is just it's a little bit of a younger model than ChatGPT. So it's got a little bit of catching right. up to do. Yeah, and the article does say, um, but as things stand, Checkpoint concludes that Bard's anti-abuse restrictors in the realm of cybersecurity are significantly lower compared to those of ChatGPT. That's right. And as such, it is much easier to generate malicious content using Bard's capabilities. Um, but that all might be a mute point because uh, DeepMind claims uh, its next chat bot will rival ChatGPT. We might not be using Bard in the future. Well, they said rival or even best ChatGPT. even best, yeah. Uh, ChatGPT might might have captured the world's attention, but DeepMind, the Google-owned research lab, claims that its next large language model will rival even best OpenAI. That's right. So they've called this new um, chat GPT rivaling chatbot. It's called Gemini. Um, and at a high level, you can think of Gemini as combining some of the strengths of, a, of AlphaGo type systems with the amazing language capabilities of large models. So it's a problem-solving Chat, a problem-solving bot. 
Really, that's what it is, right? Yeah, yeah. So it's it's designed to solve problems as well as analyze text. Yeah, rather than sort of a statistical representation of language, mm. which is basically what LLMs are. They're just statistic- giving you the next word, which is statistically most likely. That's right. It will actually have the capability to solve a problem. Yeah, at a deeper level. I think this is the that sort of next evolution of AI too is where yeah. AI actually becomes a little bit more. I hesitate to word to use sentient, but um, AI becomes a little bit more capable of interacting without just stringing words together. Because at the moment, AI just strings words together. That's all it's doing. Yep. It's a it's also, a probability gives matrix. The, gives the illusion of some sort of agency behind it, right? That's right. So um, this will this will be exciting to watch. Yeah, I don't know if they're giving any timelines around this at the moment. Uh, so they said that they would consider releasing Sparrow for a private beta sometime this year, uh, but it's unclear okay. whether those plans are still on track. So uh, Sparrow is the last evolution, so the evolution before Gemini. And this article finishes off by saying the race for dominance in the generative AI space comes amid sky-high investor and consumer enthusiasm. Well, it certainly is sky-high at the moment. Definitely. Go and watch. I mentioned, I mentioned Matt Wolf on the show before. Go and, go and look at his most recent uh, video, and I, I didn't want to dive into all of it, but it's just gone ballistic over the last week, some of the stuff that's coming out. That's right. According to Grand Research, the, according to Grand Research, the market for generative AI, including text analyzing AI like Gemini, could reach 109.37 billion by 2030, an increase of 35.6 from 2030. Yep. Wow. So this is a space to watch. Gen AI is uh, the next, the new hotness. And uh, as we've been saying in the AI wars for a while now. Well, Ian, you want to finish it up there? I think so, mate. I think so. There's think, uh, a so. lot of gurneying to do at my house at the moment. <laughs> Well, at least you've got a truck to gurney. Mine's still in Queensland. <laughs> you know, I could get some culture in Queensland. <laughs> uh, yeah, well, I don't know about that so much. Anyway, guys, don't forget to go to iTunes and write the show a review. Um, and you can contact the show, uh, at casa.com. We've got a Twitter there, at GCPLife. And you can Google us on the website. Uh, and don't forget, today's sponsor is Casna. At Casna, we make your Google Cloud solutions possible. I've got to get on and edit this show. It's really quiet here. It's a Saturday. Uh, I'm the only one in the house at the moment, so I should be able to knock it out real quick. Nice. <laughs> Anything else from you, Ian? No, mate. No, I'm, I'm keen to get, get on the end of a gurney and start cleaning my car and camper trailer. Yeah, nice. All right, send us some pictures when it's nice and shiny. <laughs> <laughs> Will do. All right, I'll catch you later. Bye. Catch you, mate. Bye. Yes, got it sorted. Yeah, awesome. So it's a, it's a drive-in, drive-out now? Yep, drive-in, drive-out, uh, 250 horsepower 4J is going yeah, in. Yeah, nice. They're a strong motor, those things. Uh, I'm frightened of what it's going to do. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 250 horses isn't that big. It's not going to start twisting shafts or anything like that. You and might no, snap a CV more often. It's the 800 Newton meters that I'm more worried about. Yeah, that, that, that's going to tear CVs apart. But, <laughs> that <know>. will. Yeah. <laughs> hey, but it's, it is what it is. It's a, it's a 4JJ1. You'll never have to replace the motor again. No, that's the idea. If mm. this, <clears throat> this is a 10-year build. That's, yep. that's the idea.